This story is about Sofia. She's a smart woman, a bit of a revolutionary, but she doesn't know that yet. She's married and with children, just like all the women she knows and the ones that she doesn't know. Her husband and her children love her, but no more than they love their apartment. It's September 7th, 1968. It's the day. The Miss America pageant will be broadcasted today in every television in the country. She sits in front of her cheap TV, turns it on, and the show begins. She sees this one woman, Judith Ford, from Illinois. Sophie thinks she's going to win, and she's right. Judith Ann Ford will be crowned the new Miss America that same night. What she doesn't know, though, is that something else is going on right outside the pageant hall, something that will mark her life, for sure, and her friends' lives. Maybe you already know what I'm referring to. If you do, don't tell her, because she will find out in the national newspapers tomorrow. This is Marina Pinedo and you're listening to Welcome to the Miss America Cattle Auction. Part 1. It's showtime. The Miss America pageant took place on the 7th of September of 1968. This was the first or second most popular television event that year, and in many households watching it was an annual ritual. But in the next morning, however, the national newspapers revolted around a different issue. The Miss America pageant was picketed by over 150 women, armed with a giant beauty pageant. Over 150 women, led by a feminist group known as the New York Radical Women, gathered outside the boardwalk hall in Atlantic City, New Jersey, to protest the famous Miss America pageant. This demonstration will be remembered for generations because of its theatrical antiques. And authors such as Sarah Evans, in her famous book Personal Politics, described it as the explosive day view of the new feminist movement. Robin Morgan, one of the main protest organizers, remembers arriving to the boardwalk and bursting into tears of exhausted but ecstatic joy. She didn't expect to see hundreds of women waiting there. They came from everywhere, California, Wisconsin, Florida, Detroit, women of different races and ages. And when they all got together, over 2pm of that sunny day, the demonstration started. They formed picket lines and they held signs saying things like Atlantic City is a town with class, they raise your morals and judge your ass can make a cover the wounds of our oppression, or if you want meat, go to the butcher. While they were walking and raising their songs, they also sang some of the songs they themselves wrote. Does the term bra burner ring a bell? You can find it in the Urban Dictionary if you want to look for it. Well, they were these women. They were the famous bra burners. But guess what? They didn't actually burn any brass. This was just a myth started by one of the reporters of the New York Post. This is what actually happened. They brought a big bin, which they labeled Freedom Trash Can. And they threw brass, griddles, high heel shoes, makeup, and copies of Playboy, Cosmopolitan, and Vogue. All of which protesters said was women's garbage and which represented female bondage and the second class status of American women. But they were denied a burn permit. However, it was still quite a show, don't you think? Well, this wasn't even one of the most spectacular techniques they used. They wanted to attract the media and draw attention as much as possible. And they definitely achieved it. A crowd of above 600 people quickly piled up on the other side of the police sawhorses. There was a huge mix of feelings. Some people will shout things like, throw yourself into the trash can, it will be a lot more useful. Or if you can't be pretty, at least you can't be quiet. No more makeup. 
But some of the women will go rushing over to grab a leaflet or a button. Robin Morgan, for example, recalls how some of the women walked by while their men yelled at them, but they will come back quietly later. Morgan will say something like, weren't you just? And the women will quietly respond, yes, can I have a button? <laughs> As I said, however, the Freedom Trashkin was just the beginning. Later that evening, the protester took a life-size Miss America puppet. Three women, two of them black, chained themselves to it to emphasize sexual, but also racial enslavement to beauty standards. At the same time, another protester, Peggy Dobbins, performed the part of an auctioneer. And with an auctioneer voice, she would say, How much am I offered for this number one piece of prime American property? She sings in the kitchen, purse in bed. She doesn't talk fast. In fact, she doesn't talk at all unless you want her to. And she only says what you program her to say. But wait, because the thing that will put the icing on the cake came at midnight. The protesters compared the pageant to a cattle auction, where the nervous animals are judged for teeth, fleas, etc. And the best specimen gets the blue ribbon. And so were women made to compete for men approval. They made this point visual by using a sheep. Yeah, a real sheep. They rented it from a nearby farm, and with a boy in its tail, the sheep was led up the boardwalk, dropped with a Miss America banner, and then they crowned the sheep the new Miss America in mockery of the crowning that would take place later that night. If you didn't grow up in that time, it can be hard to imagine how shocking it was that women were saying these things. Mostly against this contest, in its 47 years history, no one had ever protested against the pageant. Not until these women, organized into something called women's liberation, made their move. However... Wait. What? What is that? That women's liberation thing? The women's liberation movement. Okay, let's go back to the origins of the protest and let's ask Professor Barbara Cutter, an associate professor of history at the University of Northern Iowa. When scholars talk about second wave feminism, they tend to divide it into two categories. And the first would be liberal feminism. And the general idea behind liberal feminism is feminists working within the system for change, working to change the laws. The second branch would be the women's liberation movement. And so the Miss America protest is the first example that became famous of something that the women's liberation movement did. And the women's liberation movement came out of the same environment that the liberal feminists came out of. But the key difference is they cared about all the same issues, but they didn't want to work within the system. They thought the system was too corrupt and that you had to fundamentally transform the system. And they thought that part of the problem was that people were raised in a system of oppressive cultural ideals and that people needed to be transformed personally in order to transform society. The leading participants in the women's liberation movement had their start in the civil rights movement, anti-war protests and the student left. But many felt that, as Robin Morgan said, the left was in its own way as sexist as the right because of their dismissal of women's issues and women's leadership. That's how groups like the New York Radical Women the one that organized the protest, came together. This particular group was created in 1967 and was formed by radical as well as socialist feminists. They used to meet to make what they call consciousness-raising sessions, 
Ruby Morgan said, During our meetings, we began talking about our personal experiences and suddenly we were all having this kind of magical you too moments where you realize you weren't alone and you were going crazy. It was out of these consciousness raising sessions that the phrase the personal is political was born. Which means that things that happen to you aren't necessarily just about you. They can have political implications. And so that's what they're focusing on with the criticism of the beauty pageant, that things that we've seen as not having social and cultural implications, like why were women expected to wear high heels and girdles and men weren't, that that's not just a personal thing, that's a political issue. And I think that that's one of the key legacies of this form of feminism is that it brought that idea into the mainstream. So it was out of these emerging radical feminist conceptions and consciousness racing sessions that the idea of the Miss America protest came from. They thought it's going to be the perfect opportunity for the movement and our claims to gain visibility. But you may ask, why choosing the Miss America pageant in particular? Well, one of the lessons we learned from the protest is that a well-chosen, symbolically rich target can help provoke the kind of cultural shifts that lay the groundwork for widespread change. And Professor Beth Greidato from Virginia Commonwealth University tells us more about it. I think that by choosing the Miss America pageant, the radical feminists who led this this event were being really intelligent about what they were protesting. Um, the Miss America pageant in 1968 was a cultural institution. Millions of people watched it on television. Um, it was normal, normally ranked in the top one or two um, most popular broadcasts each year. It, like I said, it was an institution and it really shaped American culture. It was one of the events of the year. This was like the Oscars, but most importantly, it was an American icon telling women what to look like, what to wear, how to speak, in order to be considered attractive. Every day in a woman's life was a walking Miss America contest. They were challenging a whole culture marked by sexism and the American ideal of feminine beauty, what they call the degrading mindless booby girl symbol embodied in Miss America. There was more to that, however. They denounced the pageant's racism by requiring the contestants to be of white race. They also critiqued the commercialism of the pageant and called for a boycott of corporate sponsors like Pepsi and Oldsmobile for trafficking in women's bodies in order to widen their profit margins. Finally, they denounced how the year before, Miss America went to Vietnam to pep-talk their husbands, fathers, sons and boyfriends into dying and killing with a better spirit. She personified what they called the patriotic American womanhood their men were fighting for. Part 2 the aftermath. We did it, Sophia says. She's standing completely still. Her body has refused to be loyal to her brain and now it won't move an inch. After 10 minutes experiencing this funny contradiction, she is now relearning to move her lips in coordination with her tongue and can now articulate some words. I can't believe we did it. Her friend Olivia is standing next to her, but she hasn't heard a single word. Her mind is already in front of her house, trying to know whether she should take out the keys and open the door or just wait for another while. Behind them, there's a block of flats with a brick front. In the second floor lives Ellen. Ellen is a member of the Red Stockings, one of the feminist groups created after the New York Radical Women officially disbanded in January. Sophia and Olivia have asked her to go to the next meeting, and now there's a handmade feminist pattern hanging from their blouses. It's official then. They have joined the Red Stockings. Once Sophia finally takes back control over her body and manages to get home, 
She enters the living room, where her husband is sitting, already noticing something different in the environment. Sofia is standing next to him with a challenging look on her face. He looks at her, smiles, looks down, sees the button, and then smiles gone. What are you doing with that? Now you are one of those crazy bra burners? The bra burner is a central figure in the image memory of the movement's protest, characterized as a woman protester who is unjustifiably outraged by beauty standards. Carol Hanisch used to say that if they had called them griddle burners, every woman in America would have run to join them. But the media picked up on the bra part. Even if feminists didn't burn them, the fact remains that bras were an issue. When they rejected them, they were refusing particular social constructions of womanhood that insisted on their status as sexualized beings by requiring that their bodies be held in place in artificial ways to make them more aesthetically pleasing for men. Just have a look at what the journalist Art Batchwold wrote. If the average American female gave up all her beauty products, she would look like Tiny Team and there would be no reason for the American male to have anything to do with her at all. But the bra burner thing was not the only attempt to trivialize their discourse. Being a male, 100%, I wonder how many of these females out on the boardwalk, if they had a man, would have the time to do what it is they're doing. Maybe there's an omission here that leads to frustration. And as Professor Kratz explains, they went further than that. Some critics called the protesters uh, ugly Uh, they, they implied that the only reason a woman would protest the Miss America pageant was because she was disappointed that she couldn't win it. Some experts say that feminists were viewed as some feminine and appealing women who sought to get through political flamboyance what they were unable to get through physical attractiveness. In other words, they hated Miss America because physically they could not compete with her. Such perspective completely depoliticized feminist claims by saying that they were motivated by their personal and not political grievances. Does this sound familiar? Remember what Professor Cutter said earlier about turning the personal into something with political importance? In attempting to make the personal political, they confronted the ancient association of men with public life and politics and women with domesticity and personal life. Feminists were breaking these traditional boundaries, But when the press insisted on interpreting their feminist critiques of the pageant as the outcome of personal frustration rather than political analysis, they were attempting to claw the feminists back onto personal grounds and to question their credibility to make political claims, even though their tactics and discourse clearly reveal prior experiences with radical politics. After all this, maybe what I'm going to say may be a bit shocking. The protest was a huge success! It became national news. It not only energized the radical win of the second wave, but it catapulted the new women's liberation movement into public consciousness. Hundreds of women joined the movement. The New York Radical Women received hundreds of letters from all around the country saying things like, I've been waiting all my life for something like this to come along. They collapsed. They weren't even able to open all of them. As the journalist Ellen Willis said, it had a huge impact in terms of moving from a society in which sexism is a natural order to one in which it's a problem, the subject of debate, something that can be changed. The women's liberation were a foot in the land and they were going to demand much more than equal pay for equal work. The press played a very important role. Of course, they trivialize their discourse and they don't really take them seriously. But as Professor Cutter says... They got an incredible amount of press coverage and went from being a tiny little group that nobody knew about to, you know, national news. And sure, 
Miss America kept being celebrated for many years, but it wasn't the same anymore. It's not central to American culture the same way it was at all. They keep trying to alter it.、Um, in fact, I guess last year they finally eliminated the the bathing suit competition, and they're advertising themselves now as Miss America 2.0, right? To distance themselves from the past. So the key is, even though they still exist, they've constantly been on the defensive. They have to keep saying, "No, no, we don't objectify women anymore. Look, we give women skills to be confident and things like this." and You can see that the idea that they are actually empowering women—it doesn't seem to be flying with most of the public. Now, I've told you all about these things that happened after the protests and how important it was, but this has a reason. Remember what happened at the protest? Well, there may be a few things that I haven't told you. Much of it has to do with how incredibly symbolic these tactics were and the strength of the images it produced. Emeritus Professor Janelle Reinelt, who was at the School of Theatre and Performance at the University of Warwick, has revealed to us some of these symbolisms. But before that, I'm going to introduce you to somebody. He was a historical figure, and his name was Pigasus. Pigasus was a pig, but he was not a nobody. He was nominated for President of the United States in 1968, so he went really far for being a pig, huh? But the ship in our story didn't do bad either. She got crowned Miss America. This happened only a few months after the sheep is nominating this pig for president, and Professor Reinhold thinks that the crowning of a sheep is a reference to the nomination of Pegasus. But we've already said that the sheep represented many other things, isn't it? This is what Professor Reinhold calls condensation, which means that one image can have many different meanings simultaneously. It also represented how women were being treated as cattle, as we said at the beginning of the podcast, but also maybe a message to the contestants saying that they should stand up for themselves and not being like an animal that can be led around easily. This was one of the main images of the protest, but of course we also have the bra burning thing. Professor Reinhold again says that this could be a kind of citation to when the San Francisco mime troupe, in opposition to the Vietnam War, did the famous burning of the draft cards. And she talks about how feminism has, for years and years, been punished with that image of the bra burner by the right, as if it was a ridiculous thing to do instead of being seen as a mirror image of the burning of the draft cards linking those two protests, which was in fact their original intent. But she has an optimistic view on this. The power of those two、um, symbols of the sheep and the bra burning stuck with the feminist movement as well as putting it on the map. And so I think that's a testimony to how strong those images were. But there's much more than only the symbolism. She says that in order to create the kind of social and political change that it did, it's got to be the right kind of thing at the right time. I think context is everything. She also mentioned three requirements. It's got to be timely. It's got to be context-wise, and I think breaking taboo is part of it. I mean, that always gets attention. And the Miss America protest meets all requirements. It got so much attention because it was the right kind of thing at the right time. Why? Well, remember how we talked about how important this pageant was—an American icon, a national event, even. Now imagine someone comparing it to the crowning of a sheep. I think that the the sort of solemnity that the、uh, Miss America pageant had carried all those years—you know, live from Atlantic City—it's the Miss America pageant, and the sheep just kind of poked a hole in that. It was kind of like Saturday Night Live. 
but also the bra burning image. And in order to understand why this image was so shocking to American society, it's necessary to understand the context. On the one side, how sexualized this object was and how breasts were something you just didn't talk about. And on the other side, how puritanical the American society was at that time. You have to think about the sort of fetish of breasts. And I think one thing different than European breasts, for example, um, at that time, is that there was less shame around exposing the breasts than in America, where it was really quite puritanical. So I remember being 20 and going to Europe for the first time and seeing people on the beaches um, in France without their uh, bathing suit tops on. And it seemed so liberating and so, oh, my goodness, are they really doing that? And, you know, to do that was something that you just didn't do back in the States at that time. Um, so I think that the burning of the bra caught that kind of cultural moment. So this is it, the America protest, a demonstration carried out at the right time, in the right place, with the right message. Its legacy? Probably it cannot be ascertained accurately. The kind of messages that they try to transmit are everywhere around us nowadays. Take the personalist political idea, for example. It's crucial for the current Me Too movement. Before the women's liberation movement, sexual harassment was a purely personal issue, but lemmas such as the personalist political demonstrate that particular cases of sexual violence only represent a much bigger problem of systemic violence against women. And this is all the Me Too movement is about, encouraging women to speak about their experiences of sexual violence and sexual harassment to give people a real sense of the magnitude of the problem and start thinking about this as a result of a much bigger structural issue of systemic violence against women. Carol Hanisch, who participated in the Miss America protest, said, We are the grandmothers of the Me Too movement. We did it in person, and now they do it online.